Hello and welcome to the Healthy Entrepreneur Club podcast. A healthy entrepreneur is someone who achieves business success whilst prioritising their physical and mental well-being. In other words, they understand the healthy hustle. They possess the ability to effectively manage their business operations, make strategic decisions and nurture their personal health and brand for sustainable growth and long-term success. Okay, it's the last full week in July. Lots of businesses here in, uh, in Dubai are closing down for the summer, um, but it's no time to slow down. It's a great time to start accelerating your business. You know, for people around the rest of the world, they're not closing down. We are speeding up into, uh, into the second half of the year. So today I've got an episode with five areas to think about in your business to make it healthier. <clears throat> and what we're gonna do is jump through these. I've got a few uh, examples, a few uh, things you can start to implement straight away. What we're going to do is try and really look at five areas in your business that you wouldn't normally potentially think of to make it more healthy, more streamlined, and more effective as we go into the second half of 2023. So the first one I want to bring you um, is avoiding survivor bias. And really, this is around the idea of feedback and not using, you know, swayed feedback and analysis to make the wrong decisions. So if you've not heard of a survivor bias, the best example, one of the earliest examples I can give you is in World War II, when uh, the English planes would come back from uh, fighting, uh, you know, in, in World War II, they'd come back over into England and they'd be covered in bullet holes because obviously they'd been shot by, um, by the enemy. And they would land them and the military really wanted to armor these planes, increase the armor, but it was too heavy. So they had to put the armor in specific places. <clears throat> now, they really wanted to armour the places where the bullet holes were. So they went across the wings, you know, in the fuselage underneath. They wanted to put extra armour there so that the bullet holes would no longer be there. And there was this incredibly um, astute mathematician. And he said, you're falling into survivor bias here. The planes that are coming back have bullet holes in them, yes, but they have returned. The planes that we are losing, we can infer, are being shot in the places where these planes are not, i.e. these planes are being shot on the wings and there's, they're not being shot in the, you know, in the engine, that kind of thing. And they've got back here, but the ones that have not come back have not been shot in the wings, they've been shot in the engine, as an example. So they ended up armouring those places that hadn't been shot on those planes, and they therefore increased um, the, the number of planes that would be able to return. And the point really is, Survivor bias is about thinking outside the box or thinking, not being led by success, not taking the easiest path. A good example is if you want to get reviews for your business, right? It's a lot easier to ring or email or message or go and talk to customers you know have had a, a good or great experience. It's a lot easier. They can be more forthcoming, they can give you a better review, and it's going to sway the angle of, of what you're looking to do. But really, you should be talking to the ones that are, that are unhappy. Because if you can solve the unhappiness, your business is going to go far further than if you're just seeking to improve or to help the ones that have already had success. There's no success to be made on top of what they've had. Go to the ones that are not enjoying themselves, find out why, and improve that. I don't know if you've seen 22 Jump Street, the film. This is something that I speak to, I speak about quite a lot. It's just a normal film, right? But one of the pieces in there is about how they're going to solve a crime. And the first piece of information 
There's going to be a spoiler, spoiler in here, by the way, if you haven't seen the film. The first piece of information they're given is that the, crib, the, the, the baddie has this tattoo on his arm. And they're told, you know, that's the baddie. Go and find him. And the whole way through the film, they're trying to find this guy, this one guy. And actually, it turns out, you know, right at the beginning, that first piece of information they were given was wrong. But they have based their entire investigation from it. And that's something that I talk about all the time with different people, depending on different decisions we're making. Because a lot of the time, you make a decision. I don't know if that information you've got is, is reliable, where it's come from, if you've used your own survivor bias. Or maybe I've used my survivor bias. And therefore, you can base an entire strategy or plan off of something that was never right in the first place. So it's so incredibly important to understand the data before you start building anything and building the strategies out. And one of the things we say when people, with people on our group program is, you know, we, we've got experience with so many strategies. Strategies from, you know, five or $10,000 a month businesses all the way up to multi, multi-million dollar businesses. We've got strategies for everything like content, sales, marketing, operations, product development, you know, um, personal branding. The, the, the strategy is not where you're going wrong. Your strategy is probably fine, but it's just the data you're interpreting and your consistency, which is creating these unhealthy habits within the business. The second one I want to go on to is processes. And a lot of people hate processes. I've spoken about it before, the Roger, Roger Hamilton uh, genius test. You know, this is a free test you can do online. We've asked all our members to do it. And what it does is basically find where you are on this grid where there's four different geniuses. Every human is, you know, biased towards one and you'll have a secondary one. It really helps to understand where your weaknesses are. And usually, you know, someone like, you know, well, there's so many, there's so many examples, but so many people like the ideas phase or they like the people phase or maybe you're the other way around where you love systems and you love, um, you know, the data side. But... More often than not, people will not like to do processes. Or if they do like to do processes, they don't want to do them again. They want to do them one time and leave it. So what my point here is, don't try not to do anything twice unless it's absolutely necessary or it needs to be done by you. So there's so many ways to put processes in, in place. So for example, with our content strategies right now, we don't post anything online. Nothing that, nothing that we're doing is being posted online. We have an assistant who will help us with the editing of podcasts, editing of content, you know, posting, scheduling, um, help us with some graphics, because that doesn't necessarily benefit us. We need, we need to be able to publish and, you know, market ourselves, but the process is in place. I can spend my time in, in much better ways than editing different things or coming up with graphics. That's not my, my skill set, you know? And there's so many different ways you can put that, or you could, there's so many different examples, you know, if you're in a service-based business and you've got clients coming in the door every day for, a, for some sort of service, think about what they're doing, what's being done again and again and again. It doesn't need to be done. Are you signing them in in a manual way? Are, you, you know, are they having to go to a stand to go and order their coffee whilst they're in your establishment? Is there not ways to make this better for customer experience but also for you and your business to be healthier, to make people happier, make the experience better and to save your staff time or to save you time? There will be loads of processes you could put in place which will cost you almost nothing or nothing and improve the everyday running of your business. And once the business starts running better, you have more time, everyone has more time, customer experience goes better. It's these incremental small changes which makes a business healthier. It's not these massive jumps where you're taking a risk to try and make something better. The next one I want to touch on is culture. And I wasn't going to put this one in here because, you know, 
you might be a, a solopreneur, it might be you or maybe just two of you, you know, I don't know how many people you've got, but it doesn't matter really. You know, I've worked with businesses where it's just one person and I've worked with businesses where it's five or 10,000 people. It really doesn't matter. Culture is still important. And by culture, I mean, in this uh, circumstance, I mean respect. So if it's just you or, you know, 200 other people, is there respect? Do you respect yourself? Do you respect your boundaries? You know, do you work in a way where you're prioritizing your health? You're looking at how the business can grow, but also you're understanding that there's a greater mission than just money and you've got that, that growth mindset. Are there values that you stand to? In, in a big business, is there a mission? You know, any business, is there a mission? Do people have to like that mission? No, not necessarily. But they should understand it and they should have to work towards it. They should understand the greater good. And I think culture is really important because it's difficult to run a business without a set of values or pillars that people know you're trying to work towards. Because without them, what happens is, especially in a larger business where you might have a, you know, a senior leadership team, there starts to be this divide. You know? And some divide at every level, or power index, what it's called, is good. But when you get this big divide where people don't understand the mission or they're not bought into the values, and this can happen from a company as soon as they get into sort of lifestyle where they've got you know, 10 to 12 people, you start to be in a divide where, where the founder, the owner, the entrepreneur has more and more free time. People start to resent them. A new management team comes in to run the day-to-day. -day. They start to resent them even more. When they come in, they think they're a celebrity and you start to have this almost hatred towards one person. They don't understand the mission. So it's really important in terms of culture to help people understand what you're working towards. The other point I want to bring up here is around burnout. So, you know, one of the main things we talk about at the Health Entrepreneur Club is burnout and making sure that you don't become your own worst enemy as an entrepreneur. And culture is one of the things that does this because, you know, I've worked in companies where there's been a no blame culture. And it doesn't mean that you don't feel pressure when you make a mistake, but it means you know you're not going to be ridiculed in front of other people. You know, that kind of culture is quite powerful because people get bought in. It sucks you in to be like, oh, wow, you know, I want, to, I want to be more like this. I want to be more included in this. I want to push the team forward. And it, it, it's, quite, it's quite powerful, the results you can get out of a culture without having, having to pour more money into something. Really something to, to think about. One of the things you can think about, you know, when you're almost switching off, think about your company culture, whether it's you or, you know, a team of however many. Culture is a lot more powerful than you think. And it's one of those things that isn't necessarily directly correlated to, you know, getting in more leads or, or marketing, but it's the engine of the business that you need to keep ticking over. You always put oil in an engine. Think about the people, think about how you're operating. That is the oil of the business. That moves me quite nicely actually onto leads. So in order to make your business healthier, you're probably sat there thinking, I would like more leads. I need more leads. And every, we all know that the more leads you get into the top of your funnel, the healthier, I'm putting that in sort of, you know, um, quotes, the healthier your business will be. So, and I say that because more leads doesn't necessarily mean more success if you can't cope with it or if they're the wrong leads. So what I want to talk about is, do you have a lead generation machine? Do you have a thing that, helps you grow even when you're not working you know so are you running content strategies are you running ads are you networking you know what 
what are you doing that is getting leads into your business? Maybe it's just referrals. You know, you should have a, a, a you know a plethora of ways that people are becoming leads, and you should be able to take those signals on to understand if they're a lead, and then you should be able to segment them into are they a warm, a cold, or a hot lead? Because there should be a different tactic for each one of those those people. You know, a hot lead. They literally want to buy from you. They don't want to hear any more of your, you know, your, your talk. Literally give them a, a link, make them pay, get them on board. A cold lead is still a lead because you've qualified them that they might have been to your website or they've downloaded something or they've come to your webinar. They're still interested in your business. You still think that over time they're going to take something from you. They're going to, they're going to buy, they're going to purchase, but they're going to need a, need a lot more persuading. So what is that machine that you've got to bring people in? and to nurture them. And one of the things you should think about here is the 80-20 rule, right? So let's try and think about 80% um, of what you're doing will bring 20% of the, of the reward, okay? So it's really important to understand out of this lead generation machine that you've got ticking over all the time, what is actually bringing the reward? Are most of your people coming through Google Ads? No? Okay, well, are they coming from your content on LinkedIn and, and Instagram? Yes. Okay. Well, reduce the amount of time you're spending doing uh, Google Ads, remove this remove the actual spend, monetary spend, and put more effort into your content strategy on LinkedIn. Try and always refine it. It should always be going on in the background, the, link, the lead machine, and you should always be refining it to make sure that it's getting the most bang for your buck. And I know it's so tempting to just spread you as wide as possible. And in the early days, it's a good way of working, but obviously you have got some level of success, you're already making that money. So it's really crucial that you're honing in on the area that is actually working for you now so that you are refined, you know, you're getting better. There's always improvements to be made and that's one of the best things you can do is to look at where people are coming from now and double down. And the fifth area that I really want to talk about, I really love this area. This is a lot of my background is in, um, in product and product development, especially on the tech side. And Product is, is another word for product, I guess, is your offer. You might have heard about it as, as offer. And it doesn't matter how good your lead gen is that we we're just talking about if your offer is poor. And actually, you can even go further than that and say, you don't need anything if you've got a good, a good product. I'm not sure if I completely agree with that, though. That's an Alex Hormozzi quote. He was like, build a good product and you won't need to market. You won't need to generate leads because we will come to you. And I understand that to a certain extent, but actually so many businesses fail when they've got a great idea, they execute it and they just can't get it in front of the right people or they can't portray why it's so good. So your product or your offer is crucial. It doesn't need to be perfect, but it does need to do what it said it would do and add value. So whatever you are offering, whether you've got you know, a shop, a coffee shop or an app that turns you know, something incredible or you know, a, a fairly normal business, whatever it is, what is your offer? Why do people come to you? Do you do exactly what you said you're going to do? And does it add value? And also remember to, to don't think about it just adding more and more stuff on top because the more things you add doesn't necessarily add value. You know, if I list out 20 things that we can do for you at the Health Entrepreneur Club, I don't think that's going to add any more value than just saying one line, you know, because we under, you understand the value from what we do, from what we from looking at us, but the more stuff you add in there, sometimes it can bring the actual perceived value down. So what you need to do is just look at your product or your offer, your service. What do you do? 
What do people like? And how can you make the experience slightly better? So an example here would be, if you've got a coffee shop, you know, maybe your coffee shop is in London. Let's give London as an example. There's thousands of coffee shops in London. And your coffee is pound fifty, So it's relatively cheap. But your, co- your shop is absolutely rammed all day, every day. People will absolutely love to go in there. Big queue out the door. Nothing's particularly high quality. The coffee's okay, it, but it's cheap. If you put the best coffee beans in the world in that shop, and start charging £4.50 for that coffee, you're adding value, aren't you? But I almost guarantee that shop's empty the next day. Because you haven't understood why people are actually in there. They're not in there for the best value coffee. They're in there for the best value coffee. I was going to say coffee. It's effectively coffee, isn't it? They're in there for the best bang for their buck. So you've got to understand that. But you should always be iterating your service. So that coffee shop, potentially, could do something like, you know, if they've got a massive queue out of the door, make the coffee shop one of those ones where you don't sit in. You actually take your coffee and you go. More people will come and go because they're probably not sitting in there for the experience. They're probably going in for the cheap coffee and then they go. Think of the value that way. It's always important to think about iteration and adding value to your, um, to your service. One of the great examples, actually, a business we worked with in Dubai, they have people sitting in a waiting room waiting for, waiting for their, their kids or whatever to come out of their classes. Well, they added a, a coffee machine into their waiting room and had free coffee being given away because coffee's got a massive margin on it. So you can give away free coffee. That increased the value massively because people couldn't believe they're getting this great quality free coffee. And it's just one of those things where you have to add the value in a way that makes people understand the benefits. You know, it's something that you really need to think about. It's one of those things you need, it's almost best to sit into a flow state and really start to think about it yourself. Get, a, get opinions on how to improve. That's one of the greatest examples of, or greatest tips I can give. Get people's examples. You are too close to your business to just make ideas up and, and implement them yourself. Always bounce off a second opinion. Always ask for feedback. Keep iterating. And a great book recommendation here is The Lean Startup. I know you're not necessarily a startup, but it's, it's good for anyone to read The Lean Startup because it understands how you can make changes Use MVPs or minimum viable products to, to make these changes, but also to understand where and when you should actually implement a change, how you create statistical significance to go, okay, now we should make that change. It's been validated. Let's move forward. I hope this episode was, um, was enjoyable. I know it's a, a, maybe a little bit rambly there towards the end, but I hope it was, it was uh, useful and I hope to catch you again soon.